Welcome to The Prep School, a Franklin Medical Reserve Corps podcast where you'll learn how to be prepared through entertaining education. Produced in the media studios at Greenfield Community College in lovely rural western Massachusetts, near Vermont and not far from upstate New York, not the Berkshires, but real close. And here's your host, Denise Schwartz. Hello, this is Denise Schwartz, your host. Today we're going to talk about a group of symptoms that nearly 3 million of us a year are going to be diagnosed with having. There's a term for that group of symptoms, and it's dementia. We're going to talk about that today, what dementia is, how it's different from Alzheimer's disease, and how our personal choices can minimize our chances of getting it. I'm going to be talking with Meg Ryan. She's a public health nurse for the Franklin Regional Council of Governments here in Western Massachusetts. Now, Meg's work as a nurse has included supporting people with dementia to continue to live at home, and she's also been managing a secure memory residence, which I'd like to hear more about. So, hi, Meg. How are you? Hi, Denise. (laughs) Thanks for having me today. It's fun to be here to talk about this. Yeah, well, it's fun to talk about dementia. Now, that's something that you don't really say very often, I bet, but I'm really glad to hear that. I'm glad we're going to learn more about it because it's so prevalent, and that's kind of where I want to start. I think you've said that almost everyone will be affected by dementia. I need to know why it's out there. Has it always been this prevalent and we just weren't reporting it, we weren't talking about it, we weren't diagnosing it? Or is this really something new? Well, it's certainly not new. You know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, we were calling it senility. Uh-huh. But it is something that I think all of those things are happening for, that it's it's being diagnosed more and that... Um, more and more people are actually getting. Um, You know, more than 6 million people in the United States are currently living with Alzheimer's disease, and that doesn't count the other dementias. Um, And when you say that it affects everyone, it's because we all know someone who has it or who's taking care of someone who has it. And the effects of that are just huge. It has, you know, unpaid care is provided by more than 11 million Americans right now. So it's it's not just an emotional... um, issue, but a a real financial impact as well. Oh, yeah, we probably don't think about that part, do we? No. The financial impact. And it's huge. Caregivers Hmm. um, of someone who is living at home with dementia, most of them either have to call out of work at some point, miss hours, or have to quit their job altogether to continue taking care of their their loved one with dementia. Um, that, That has an effect on the economy. And what if that person isn't going to be staying at home and they have to, um, you know, you have to live in a what you call a memory care facility, which I think is a beautiful name for that. What if someone has to live there? Uh, I'm sure that has a financial impact, too. They're very expensive. You know, unless you are um, a lower, much lower income person and can qualify for a Medicaid supported bed, which can be hard to do in a dementia residence. Uh, at a nursing home. It, it's a lot of money per month. Most of us can't afford that. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. Which means there are a lot of people at home caring for their loved one, whether they want to be or not. And most people are happy to care for their loved one, but it's challenging. How do they learn how to do that? I mean, there must be certain things that you have to do when you're living with someone with dementia. It's always error, trial and error. Um, and, you know, one thing I've learned with dementia uh, in the, the more advanced stages is that it rarely is the same two days in a row. So mm. what worked yesterday might not work today anyway. So you, you have to be flexible and think on your feet. And, you know, there are some good techniques. Um, 
but uh, it it makes each day uh, a new challenge. Well, let me ask you a question before we get into some statistics and some other things about you know, what causes it and what we can do to minimize our risks. But if you are living with someone and you might see some behavioral changes in them, you know, maybe, you know, not the memory loss stuff that we all say to each other, like, oh, I don't know where I put my car keys or I don't know what I had for breakfast yesterday. Those kinds of things, which I want to ask you about. I mean, should we be worried about those? But if we see some other kinds of changes in those people that we live with or that we know, how can we mention that to them without um, making them feel defensive or without having them feel like they're being criticized? Are there certain ways to talk about this? Well, I think generally using I statements is always better than saying you. Um, you know, don't start with, you know, you're not remembering things anymore. Start with, mm. I've noticed that the last time we went such and such a place, you didn't remember how to get there. And we usually, you usually do remember that. So make it an I statement. It keep front and center that that person is still a competent person. Whatever you say. Um, what do you mean? Yeah, tell me, tell me. What do you mean still a competent person? How do you do that? You just make it clear that you still value their contributions. That so. is so hard to do. It is. <laughs> that <laughs> it is. is so hard to do. And you know, We should practice how to do that. We should, our lifelong, <laughs> because it's good interpersonal uh, relationship anyway. Tell me who's at risk. Everyone's at risk. Why? Um, why are we at risk? What's well, happening? That, the What's why, happening in our brains? So why, I can't answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. There's a lot of research about why, and a lot of things are being discovered, but this show's not big enough, and I don't have that <laughs> technical knowledge. So, um, But uh, it, it is um, increasing uh, at phenomenal rates. There was During 2020, there was a 17% increase uh, from the year before in Alzheimer's diagnosis. And I think the theory there was that the isolation that, that we all had to go into really affected people. Oh. Um, it does kill more people than breast and prostate cancer combined in any given year. Um, and between 2000 and 2019, deaths from heart disease decreased mm -hmm. 7%, right. but deaths from Alzheimer's increased 145%. Is that because it's pretty much a disease of older adults? Yes. Um, it is not a normal part of aging to get a dementia, but the biggest risk factor for getting a dementia is getting older. So age is, oh. is the biggest risk factor. Well, that's why it's yeah. going to affect us all, because <laughs> nobody I know is getting younger by the day. No. You call it a dementia. Tell me about that. Are there many dementias? And then let's talk about how dementia is not Alzheimer's disease. So many people get these confused. They do. We all do. And uh, dementia is not Alzheimer's disease, but Alzheimer's disease is a dementia. So dementia is an, uh, an umbrella term for neurodegenerative disease that gets in the way of living your life. Um, you end up with symptoms that prevent you from being fully independent. And there are many types of dementia. Alzheimer's is the most common. It's 60 to 80% of all dementias. But there are other common ones as well. And, you know, many of, of the listeners may have heard of some of them. Vascular dementia is caused by damage to vessels in the brain, um, you know, theory is maybe from mini strokes or high blood pressure. Oh. Frontotemporal dementia uh, is often has more effect on personality. You might see more drastic personality changes. Lewy body dementia is caused by a buildup of Lewy bodies, which are uh, deposits of the protein D-alpha synuclein, 
And Alzheimer's is caused by deposits of the amyloid beta proteins in the wrong place in the brain. Yes, I'm um, really interested in how that happens. And I know that that's something that we're going to talk about at another time. I want to know how those little proteins get in there, how they get tangled and why they stick. Yes. So we'll talk about that another time, but <laughs> it's right fascinating. Now, so, so there are a lot of different kinds of dementias. Yeah, so it's like an, an umbrella term. Uh, the yes, way a group sports of sports is an umbrella term, and baseball is a particular type of sport. Oh, that's a good analogy. Dementia is an umbrella term, and frontotemporal is a type of dementia, okay. as is Alzheimer's. Okay. All right. Who's at risk for some of those? What are the things that we've been doing that make us um, candidates, in, in addition to growing older, candidates for dementia? Well, um, two-thirds of everyone in, with dementia in the United States are women. And yeah. you can look at that and say, oh, well, it's because women live longer. But if you dive into the statistics, that's not the only reason. And the researchers are not yet sure why. Um, there is some stuff that's coming out that perhaps female hormones are very mm -hmm. related and the process of going through menopause may do something mm -hmm. that makes us more at risk. But that's very new research and uh, it's not been proven yet. Um, it's just a thought. Can I interject something yes. here? Is that why, and you know, in so many, so much fiction and so many historical novels and so on, there's always a woman who has, what did we call it a hundred years ago? Senility. Senility. But that usually it was more like, she's crazy. She has, I think we even used the term dementia. Well, I mean, is that just synonymous with women somehow? I hope Or not. are we going into another topic here? We're, I think we're going into another topic. <laughs> I think more of the reason that women are um, had those roles in fiction a long time ago is that women were not respected and men yeah. had all the power. Okay. So if the woman was not to your liking or was behaving in a way that was not to your liking, you could deem them crazy and have them put away. So, so I'm going to anyway, start this all over again with a new topic. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us more. You were talking about the people who are at risk. So women, who else? So Hispanic Americans are one and a half more times, times more likely than white people to no get kidding. dementia. And black Americans are twice as likely as whites to get dementia. So like many other things, there's, there's factors that are quite understood. Economic ones probably. Yeah stress-related, who knows? Well, um, I think food also is really important, and so people who probably do not have access to really good food all the time might also have a higher, um, a, a higher probability of becoming folks who might have dementia. I, Does I that think make that's, sense? I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm. I'm sorry we'll to interrupt, but that no, just kind of jumped into my head. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. So there, there are base, three basic piles of risk factor. One is age. One is your mm -hmm. genetics. Yeah. It's not generally a, a huge component of it, but you, family, it does tend to run in families, but just because someone in your family has it doesn't mean you will get it. It's just a genetic predisposition that perhaps some of your lifestyle choices can <laughs> um, hasten or uh, slow down. Um, and then the third risk factor is your lifestyle choices. Yeah, so, we really but I want to I want to emphasize it is not a normal part of aging. Having trouble for remembering words, forgetting where you put your keys, not knowing what you had for breakfast the day before are generally pretty typical experiences, but you generally will with some time come up with that name. Right. Find your keys and you know Figure out how to remember what you had for breakfast. If you even want to. If you even care. <laughs> right. You know, Meg, I think maybe we should say that more often. 
that these little things that happen to us, these little forgetfulnesses, they don't really mean anything critical until they get to a point where they're really affecting your daily life. I think that's the key. But if we could all just like not get so upset when we have these little forgetfulnesses, I think that would be really helpful. I do too. We need to hear that message. That it's very normal to forget names, to not, you know, to rem- to forget little things or have, it'd be slower at remembering them. Though I will say it's a little bit of a fine line because if you start to have real concerns and you think mm-hmm. it's getting worse, I would mm-hmm. encourage anybody to talk to their doctor about it sooner rather than later. Don't wait till it's clear that you really have some memory issues. Um, the earlier you discover that you actually do have some kind of memory issue, the, the more likely you are to be able to um, get some treatment. What might that be? Um, there are uh, several medications on the market that can not prevent the disease, but they slow down the, the progression of the symptoms. And it can give you more time as a functional person, which is a huge gift. And Mm. also, if you get an early diagnosis, you have more time to plan for the future while you're still aware and able to do that with your loved ones. It's very helpful. Most people wait too long. We don't want to... We don't want to admit that something's going wrong. Right. Also, you know, dementia diseases are usually on a continuum. Mm -hmm. And they start uh, 10 to 20 years before you get symptoms, you will start having actual changes in the brain. Really? Yeah. So um, then the next stage is noticing some some memory issues, and that's mild cognitive impairment, mm-hmm. you know. And where's the line between forgetting where your keys are and some mild cognitive impairment? You know, it, it can be hard to tease that out. Though I will say again, forgetting mm-hmm. where your keys are is not, not a, a big, not an issue. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I actually, I, I just have an example. I have a, a, a friend uh-huh. who is in her mid-80s and is very, very active hikes and talks and has little parties and does all kinds of things. And I asked her if she wanted to do something and she said yes. And then the next day she said, no, I can't do it because I'm having a health issue. And she didn't want to talk about it. And later I found out that her health issue was that she had forgotten where her glasses were. And somebody pointed out that, you know, they were in her pocket. I forget exactly where it was, but that hadn't really happened to her before even at that age, is that remarkable? And she was really afraid because of yeah. that. And I just wish somebody would have, would have said, oh, wait a minute, I forget mine all the time. And I think, in fact, I did when I found this out. But that, to me, was pretty amazing how frightening it can be, maybe because we have so much um, information about this kind of thing, and it's always there, and so we're always afraid it's going to happen to me. Absolutely. It can be terrifying to think yes. that it might happen to you. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's a real possibility. By the age of 85, one in three of us has, has been diagnosed with some kind of dementia. So oh my gosh. that's real. Um, well, what are we going to do? How are uh, we going to help ourselves right now so that we can stay as brain healthy as possible? I am so glad you <laughs> asked. I knew you were going to be. There's a lot of things you can do. Um, none of it is rocket science. Oh. There's not a magic cure. Um, there's no cure at all, actually, yeah. but uh, the Alzheimer's Association and some other uh, researchers are really hoping to change that. But it's basic stuff. Eat a healthy diet, get a lot of exercise, um, manage your stress, sleep well, um, don't smoke, don't get concussions, and stay socially connected and mentally challenged. So healthy diet uh, really matters a lot. And 
I think of it as on a continuum as well. The closer you can eat to a Mediterranean diet or a DASH diet, the better it is for your brain. Tell us what that is so so that we can be reminded. Yes. Mediterranean diet is focused on lots and lots of fresh fruits and vegetables of all kinds, fish, olive oil, only whole grains, so no processed food, no fried food, minimal animal fat and meat consumption, and um, eating socially in a group and taking your time. What do you that mean? That is part of it. Have Eating dinner with your family or, ha- oh, yes. or with your okay. friends. And that's considered part of the Mediterranean y- diet? Yes, it oh, is. So that's that picture of the big happy family sitting outside on a Sunday with a red and white check tablecloth. Oh, it's such a cliche. And everybody eating together and maybe even arguing and still having a wonderful time? Exactly. <gasps> oh, that sounds like my grandparents. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Okay, I didn't realize that. But the staying connected part is really important, too. It is important. I had something else about the diet. Um, Mediterranean diet, we always say, oh, pasta, rice, all that kind of stuff. That's all Mediterranean food. But those are things that I've read as um, complex carbohydrates. They're not really so great for us. If you're going to have carbohydrates, it should be in a whole grain form. So if rice is part of the meal, it should be brown rice. And if pasta is part of the meal, it's best if it's it's, uh, brown rice pasta okay so you know okay. it, it, it's an acquired taste and mm-hmm. and you can get used to it but there's a lot of excellent research for a long time about the mediterranean mm-hmm. diet and about the dash diet which is the dietary approaches to stopping hypertension um oh, and i don't has, know what that is it has actually been proven to decrease uh blood pressure and what's healthy for the heart is healthy for the brain okay what is that what's in it uh the same stuff okay lots of fresh fruits and vegetables no um Minimal or no processed oh, foods. So um, hard to do in this country. You know, emphasize lean proteins uh, like beans and eggs over beef. Yes. You know. Okay. And there are a lot of good resources okay. for each of these diets. And I will say that it is really hard to change your habits all at once. So you don't necessarily want to say, I'm never going to eat X, Y, or Z again, but move gradually as close as you can towards the ideal. For instance, I started by having an extra serving of of dark leafy greens with my breakfast every morning. Oh. So instead of the toast, I started having garlicky greens. Kale. Kale, yeah, things like that. So, But it has to be something you you like. Start where (laughs) you like and move from there. Try to, you know, don't try to change every habit all at once, but... Add things that are healthy, and gradually the unhealthy ones will, will fall away with enough effort. So diet, what about beverages? What about wine, alcohol? That's a, probably not a good thing. I think it's not a good thing. You know, we heard a lot of uh, press about how that one glass of red wine was so good for you because mm-hmm. of the flavonoids, and it right. would take down the inflammation. I'm sorry to say that's pretty much been disproven. Yeah, it's Um, marketing. It's marketing. And, you know, uh, if you don't drink, don't start. And if you do drink, drink in moderation. Mm -hmm. Keep it to the recommended not more than one per day for women or two per day for men. And I would try to aim for less than that if you really want to. I understand. Take care of yourself. Um, But I think if there's one thing you do that gives you the most bang for your buck, it's activity. Oh, getting more physical. I think it's the magic bullet for your health in general. So if you only make one change in your life, I would encourage you to focus on exercise. It pretty much improves everything. 
makes your blood pressure better, your weight better, your blood sugar levels better, um, helps with your mood, your stress level, improves your, your gut health. And there's some good research about walking daily oh, yeah. at a moderate to high intensity for 30 minutes. It actually has been shown to reduce the risk of dementia and actually improve cognitive function for some people. I understand there's a lot written about that. I mean, so many people um, are saying that, specifically us here in rural areas, you know, we are really kind of lucky because we can get outside and walk around in beautiful places. We can, and there's so much that ties good health to being out in nature. And if you can't, you live in a city while there are parks or you can go to the gym, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. I think the walking in the woods is really an important thing, and many of us can do that here. Yeah, I agree with you personally. We're, we're most of us very lucky. We are lucky. You know, yeah. I do hear so, from some older people who live in the most beautiful rural towns that don't feel safe walking on the roads because yeah. there aren't sidewalks or lights. Right. So it's, it's, uh, it goes both ways, but any exercise increase is, is good. I mean, unless you're a marathon runner, I'm not sure you need to increase your exercise <laughs> oh, there. Probably not. But if you're not walking daily, you know, adding 10 minutes a day, six days a week, but if you're not mobile? So if you're not mobile, you have to get creative. You know, if you can move your legs, you can march in your chair. Just set the timer or do it with every single commercial if you're watching TV. But whatever you can do is better than, than doing not nothing. doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So if you're completely immobile and stuck in a wheelchair, you can still do some, some mild weight lifting with, with uh, your arms. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, any, anything will help. Okay. It's all a continuum. Okay, that's good to remember. It's a continuum. Yeah, there's, you know, a lot of people get fixated on how many minutes a day Mm -hmm. and how many steps. Exactly. And they they can be useful to track that, to give yourself a a baseline and uh, to know if you're doing better or not. Right. Um, But basically more is good. Okay, so we have diet, we have exercise. What else should we do? Sleep. That is so hard to do as you get older. You know, a lot of these things are contradictory to what happens to older people. You know, you're not as hungry. You don't eat as much or else you just sit still and you eat too much and you can't sleep. And <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if you're supposed to get more sleep so that you have better brain health, well, a lot of people would use medication to sleep more. And I'm not sure that's helpful for our little brains. So, you know, what do we do, Meg? So there's a lot of good things you can do to improve what's called your sleep hygiene. Um, one thing is to prioritize it and have a routine. Go to mm-hmm. bed at the same time every day and get up at the same time. Another thing is to stop looking at any computer screens or TV screens, anything with blue light for, and again, here are the numbers. You're going to hear different numbers from different people. An hour, 30 minutes, two hours before you want to go to bed. Make the lights a little dimmer. Um, you know, th- I, I do understand that insomnia is not an easy fix for a lot of people. Do what you can to get the habit, um, but I will encourage anybody who has trouble sleeping to talk to their doctor about it because it is a big deal. And one thing that can start to cause memory problems that's a really easy fix is sleep apnea. If you oh, have yes. sleep apnea and you don't know it and you're not you're waking up a lot, you can actually start to have mild cognitive impairment. And I've known some people who have gone, gotten the sleep study, gotten their CPAP machine to help them breathe all mm-hmm. night sleep better, and their memory improves pretty quickly. Is that because of lack of oxygen or something like that? Probably, yeah. Wow. But I don't, I don't really know. Okay. Yeah. Um, so again, sleep is, is uh, very, very important. And again, heart health 
paying attention to all of your numbers, your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your weight, your blood sugar. What's good for the heart? It's good for the brain. So, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So there's a lot of things people can do. Um, and the research is good that they really do make a difference. You know, I know we're starting to wind down, and there's so many more things I want to talk to you about. And one of them is this. Um, you've said that there can be good moments and fun in a life lived with dementia. That's such an interesting thought to me because, um, you know, we just talked to a person. We did a session with him a while ago, and he's done um, a performance and is starting to write a book about his experience with his 92-year-old dad who had dementia and how he lived with him for three years and watched his life improve because he interacted with him on a daily basis doing things like singing and reading and walking, that thing that we know is good for us. And... Um, those last three years of his dad's life were filled with fun and good moments. And he recounts all of that in his performances and in his books. And uh, I'll just say the name of it. it was, uh, his performance is called Life with Bill. And we've done a session with him. So while those two things sound really uh, like opposites, like, oh, if you've got dementia, how can you have a good, fun-filled life even for a small amount of time? I guess we're starting to see that that's possible. It's all about attitude, like many things. Um, you know, dementia is the ultimate uh, kind of living in the moment disease, whether you want oh. to or not, you're living in the moment. So it's about making the moment as pleasant as, as it can be. And usually the last thing that someone with dementia loses is that ability to, to um, see an emotional connection. A smile oh. can make a huge difference. Someone talking to you can make a huge difference. Um, you know, join the person with the dementia in their reality. Don't try to tell them that they're wrong about something, but just continue the conversation in a happy way. And, you know, I think um, it doesn't always happen the way it did for Bill, no matter how focused you are on your loved one. Right. But trying to find those moments and seeing, focusing on the moments that are good, the smile, the walk outside, um, rather than the loss. If you focus on the loss, it's just going to be all about the loss. And yes, there's a huge amount of loss, but there can be really joyful moments too. I'm so glad to hear that. Isn't, isn't that kind of true about everything? Well, I'm understanding that we're winding down now. Uh, there were a few other things I wanted to say. I know you wanted to, something, you wanted to mention the Alzheimer's Association helpline. Yes, they have a 24-7, 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year helpline that anyone can call with any kind of question. The number is 1-800-272-3900. And it's staffed with really well-trained um, people. They can answer questions about what dementia is. They can help you find resources for caregiving. They can do consults about what's the next step. So pretty much anything, and everyone should be aware of that and willing to use it. Again, 1-800-272-3900. I've called them myself. Oh, you have? It's a great resource. Okay, I'm not going to ask why you called, but okay, that's really good to know. And it's comfortable when you call. It's not like you have to disclose a lot of information if you don't feel like it. You only say what you want to say. <laughs> okay, that's really great. I want to thank you for being here, and I want to mention something else. I did read that, you know, you mentioned olive oil and, you know, the Mediterranean diet. And I did read that there are two things that can help us in terms of good brain health. And those are things that <clears throat> I think a lot of us would enjoy. Um, consuming and thinking that, well, if I do consume this, my 
brain will be a lot healthier and maybe I can diminish my risk of having dementia. And those are mm, chocolate and coffee. So I'm hoping you're not going to say, no, that isn't true. I'm hoping <laughs> that that is true. And I'm also saying, it's really nice to have talked with you this way. And I think when our session is finished, we might consider going out and having some coffee and chocolate together. Oh, I like that idea. Let's Denise. do that. Thank okay. You so much for having me. I will say that Neither of those things are bad for you, but the sugar in the chocolate is bad for you. We'll get unsweetened chocolate. If you can eat that, then you're a really strong person, but we can try. Dark chocolate. <laughs> Dark chocolate. Thanks very much, Meg Ryan. We'll see you again soon. Thank you, Denise.